0: you turn with me to the passage in which today's teaching is based, it comes from Luke chapter 14, and I'll be reading uh, from verses 15 through 24, Luke chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his uh, to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet." And this is God's word, it's a hard word. You know, the term son of man, it's a very important term. Uh, Son of man is a very important figure in the Old Testament. It comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter seven. And it refers to somebody who's going to come from the clouds, come from heaven. And the prophecy says that this son of man is the king. He is the king of the universe. And he will be worshipped by every nation. And one day he will come to restore everything that is broken, everything that went wrong, everything that is wrong in the world. So when Jesus Christ says, or refers to himself, he says, I am the Son of Man. That's what he's saying. He's saying all of those prophecies, all of those stories about the king who will come to restore the world, they're about me. And if you take me in, my kingdom power will enter into you. It's going to transform your soul. It's going to transform your life. And it's going to begin to restore everything that's broken in you and then work through you to begin that process of restoration in the world. My kingdom is coming. And so he's always talking about the kingdom. Jesus is always constantly talking about the kingdom. And today's passage <clears throat> is about a feast, the feast of the kingdom. Of course, after this message, I'm going to invite you to the Lord's Supper, which is really a foretaste of that feast. Now, in verse 15, this man who's at the table says, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Why does he say that? It's because he recognizes that, look, you can enjoy a great meal, one moment. You can take pictures of it. You can share it with the world around you, how well you ate. Nothing wrong with that, but the problem is it's one and done. It comes and it goes. It's just a memory. What this man recognizes, what he's saying is, there's going to come a day when we have the kingdom of God. And that is like a feast that's going to end all of our hunger for all time. What delight, what joy will remain? And upon hearing this, Jesus responds, I mean, he can't just give you like a, a normal response. He has to tell you a story. So he responds to this man with a parable, and the parable is about a feast. And what he's really saying is yes, the kingdom of God is a feast. Why is that important? You have to look all the way back to Jesus' first miracle. In John chapter 2, we have his first miracle. John calls it a sign because a sign is something that points you to the reality. And so Jesus' miracle, in and of itself, is merely a sign that points to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And what does it do? What does he do? It takes place at a wedding feast, a wedding banquet. The wine runs out. The wine ran out, and so this great party that lasts for days is about to end in ruin. It's about to end in disaster. But then Jesus comes, and he turns. He works through this disaster, and he turns it into an even greater feast because the best wine is saved for last. He restores the wine why did jesus choose a party a feast to be the first sign and what he's saying is i am the lord of the feast everything that you do on your own everything you do on your own strength to kind of enjoy and bring delight to your lives will always run empty you will always be on the brink of disaster but i will come And when I come, I'm the Lord of the feast. I'm going to turn your water into wine. I'm going to bring joy through your disaster. I'm going to bring life through death. But, as you see in this text, he says, it's going to be a very unusual feast. It's not going to be like any other feast that you've ever experienced. Why? Because think about it. When you want to throw a party, I mean... Today is the Super Bowl. Many of you guys are going to be gathering people. When you want to throw a feast, who do you invite? You invite people that you enjoy. You invite people that are attractive to you. You're, you're going to invite people who are popular, who are approved. In a sense, they contribute to getting in. They deserve to get in. But Jesus says in this feast, only the humble, only the poor, only those who have nothing, those who are needy, those who have nothing to contribute, they're the ones who get in. Now, normally I would give you like the Super Bowl Sunday. People are distracted, and I try to give, it, give you a quick sermon with two points. We're going to have five points today. I'm going to make up for the first service. We're just going to combine the two sermons. No, we're not going to do that. I, you got five points, but they're going to be quick. It's about what it takes to enter in. You need to anticipate it. You need to wait for it. You can't earn your way in. You need to be spiritually poor. It needs to be a priority. And of course, how do you get all that? You need to have a posture to receive it. I'm going to make it real simple for you. Patience, the price, the poverty, the priority, and then how do you get in? How do you get all that? Patience, price, poverty, priority, and then the way to get in. First, Patience, the anticipation of the kingdom. You have to wait for the kingdom. Verse 16 notice this man invited many guests, but he's still preparing. He's still working on the feast, but he invites them all. What does that mean? God's kingdom is like a feast, but it's still being prepared, and so right now, you get a mere taste of it. Right now, you kind of smell the aroma of it. Right now, there are moments where it's incredibly delightful, but you're not quite there, and this feast will not come. It will not be here fully until the end of the world. Now, on one hand, that means you can have power. You can have the joy. You can have the healing of the kingdom. You can have that now. It's already here, offered to you, for you, but on the other hand, you will not fully be empowered. You will not fully be healed. You will not see the complete restoration of all things until the end. It takes a certain kind of person to not say, we need this now. What's wrong with God? We need this now. It takes a certain kind of person who's going to wait. Think about all the brokenness that you have in your life right now, every one of us. There's not a single person here that doesn't have some kind of brokenness in their lives. Something has happened to you. Something has really just hurt you. You might've been betrayed by good friends. Maybe the betrayal is happening at work. You worked really hard to get someplace and now it's falling apart, it's coming to ruin. Investments have gone poorly. You know, you you have real distance with people or distance with your parents, distance with siblings. It takes a certain kind of person who recognizes that on one hand, the healing is beginning. When you have Jesus, when Jesus enters in, that power begins to heal you inwardly. There's an inward healing that's taking place, but you may not experience it fully until the end. So to demand that full total healing now is to say that you know better, that you're demanding, who is king? You're demanding the king to do it now. And unless he does it now, he can't be my king. You see that? It takes a certain kind of person to wait and still trust with a hopefulness no matter what you've experienced, no matter the pain. Parents understand this. Um, It's your child's birthday. He gets to a certain age. He understands his birthday or Christmas gifts. Mom, can I open the gifts now? You know, is it time for the party? No, it's 7 a.m., let us sleep every hour. Well, can I just take a peek and just open one gift? Is it time yet? No, it's not even lunchtime. We still have to clean the house. We still have to set up the food. We still have to finish the gift, gift wrapping. Children, the very nature of immaturity, children don't have the maturity to anticipate, they don't have the maturity to wait, they don't have patience. And it's because children, they want what they want, and they want it now. Why can't I have it now? Can't I just have a peak? Can't I just have one? It's because you're still preparing. We're not ready yet. Have some patience, but they don't. They don't have patience. They don't want to wait. The same way, Christians, they may say, yes, I believe. I believe the basic tenets, the found, fundamentals of Christianity, they experience some power, some healing, some even some restoration, but they look around and they see the brokenness. I mean, have you ever, if you pull up YouTube videos of Kensington, I'm not talking about Kensington, the area 30 years ago, I'm talking about Kensington in Philadelphia today, like yesterday. If you pull up videos of just the drive-bys of Kensington, uh, it's a really broken down, drug-infested area of Philadelphia, it is so broken, it is so sad. I mean, it is a zombie, there are people, they're just walking around like zombies. It's out there in the open the heroin addiction is so bad and it's so common and it's so visible it's broken i mean it is sad and if you don't get jesus if you don't get him it's really easy to say i mean if jesus is really who he says he is why can't he just change this now why doesn't he restore this now why is it like this and the answer is it's coming Every week, read chronicles of Narnia? Uh, The children, they they walk through this magical wardrobe and they enter into this land, but the land is frozen, completely frozen. And they meet Mr. Tumnus, this fantastical creature, and he explains to them that there was a curse brought over the land, and so everything is frozen. But then he says, it's kind of butchering it, but then he says, look, it's starting to fall. The lion, the king is coming. Spring is coming. coming the full power the full healing the full restoration and with that the full joy it's coming so don't just act on what you see there's a real deeper reality there you got to take on the long game view of life you've broken relationships take on the long game view you take on the long game view of your relationship with your families inside your family take on the long game view of the world got to be patient. Second, let's look at the price. What's it cost to get into this feast? Jesus says in verse 17, come now, for everything is now ready. That's the master, but it's Jesus. Come, for everything is now ready. You don't have to book reservations. You don't have to put a down payment. You don't have to give him a gift. There's no potluck here. Jesus isn't asking anyone to contribute to this feast. In other words, you can't earn your spot there. You can't buy your way into it. You can't be good enough to get in. It is free. On one hand, this is far greater than anything you could have ever had, anything you could have ever been invited to here on earth on your own. But on the other hand, it's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. You see, that's very different. Religion goes like this. Religion says, I need to serve. I need to earn my keep. Either it's going to be through my moral goodness, through the approval among people in the church. I have to just work to get it. But the gospel turns that on its head and says, you can't earn it on your own. Because of our sinfulness, we can't earn our way in. You can't ever be good enough. You weren't. If you could, you wouldn't have needed Jesus. But God, in His infinite grace and mercy, sent Jesus to take our sin and to give us His righteousness. And that makes us acceptable, approvable. We have access. The very nature of the word acceptable means what? The root word is access. There are people in this room who still don't feel good enough, they don't feel good enough for Jesus. They don't feel good enough to approach God. They don't feel good enough to be in the church. They don't feel good enough to serve. They feel guilty. I'm too sinful. I want to submit to you, that is not real humility. That's actually pride. How's it pride? It's because what you're really saying is, I need to make myself better. I need to get to a certain point. I need to prepare this myself. I need to make myself worthy. I need to be able to contribute so that I deserve to get into the feast. And so here's this invitation to this great feast, and you're still trying. You got the invitation, and you're still working and trying to earn your spot. And so when you come in, you kind of there's this awkwardness and discomfort because what you, in your heart you're saying, I don't deserve to get in. I don't deserve to be here. Now, have you ever gone on a cruise before? Royal Caribbean, uh, you know, Norwegian, um, I don't know, Disney, you go on a cruise. Once you board and tour the ship, what you come to realize very quickly is that most of the food on the cruise is free, especially, and this is the hallmark, especially the, the dinner party where every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the grand ballroom, it's free every night. The menu is amazing. It's like a three or four-course dinner, but it's all free. And the best part about it is you get seated. You receive this menu. It's just like being at a, a nice, like four-star restaurant. What people, what most people, don't realize is you can order as much of the stuff on the menu as you want. Like they give you first course, second course, third course, and you can choose. But the reality is you can choose every one of those things if you wanted. I don't know if you know that, right? Now, when I first went on a cruise. I was, like, looking around, and people have all this food, and I'm like, I, 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 if you feel weird doing that. So, the waiter comes up, and you just, I just kind of ordered one of each thing, and uh, I was like, no way. You know, this is, this is like, there's got to be some sort of boundary, right? It sounded too good to be true. So, I ate my, you know, three-course meal, and um, there's actually, you kind of leave a little bit wanting, you know, if you still want food, there are places in the main area of the ship you walk around and uh, they charge you for that. So you actually, um, you know, it costs money. So what you end up doing is you end up paying for something, right, that's actually lesser quality than what you can eat at the grand ballroom for free. The food is way better in the grand ballroom. There are people right now in this room, you've been invited to the grand ballroom you still don't realize that everything has been paid for. Your life has been bought at great price. Everything's been paid for. And yet when you look at Jesus, he's not that great to you. The gospel is not that great to you because you don't see the price that was paid, and it's been paid in full. And so to those who've sinned much, the gospel is great. To those who have great guilt, the gospel is not only great comfort and great relief. It is so beautiful. Jesus the king is beautiful. So even though you're in the ballroom, you still act like you need to pay your way. And you walk away a little hungry. And you see you you look at the feast and you're like it's greatly. It's great cost. And your stomach is growling, and you're still you're still starving and but you're not willing to plug in because if you don't feel like you can pay, you don't feel like I don't know if i could I could do all that. I don't know if I could earn all that. All those people who are spiritually in a very different place than me stop trying to earn it, stop trying to to be worthy of it. I mean. I don't know how many people are here in this room today, but we're all messy. Our lives are all messy. Don't let the dress, don't let the careers, don't let the looks fool you. Everybody here is a mess. Let's face it. We're all a mess. Our relationships are a mess. Our families all broken. Every one of our families has some sort of brokenness in there. you know, it's just how it is. It's the brokenness of sin, it's the curse of sin, right? All of our careers, we all struggle in our careers. You no, know, there's not a single person. You may be good at what you do. You may be working hard at what you do, but it's broken. Work is broken. Your rest, you know, um, all your lives you work to retire towards retirement. And then ultimately, once you retire, you feel like there's nothing more to live for. You know, even that becomes messy. You don't know what to do with yourself. Own the brokenness in your life, own the mess. By the grace of God and Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You may have hurt somebody. I mean, you're in this room. There are chances are you've been hurt by people, and you may have hurt people. But cosmically, you are forgiven. Forensically, you are forgiven. It doesn't mean that the relationship is going to heal automatically. But the power of the gospel in you to be able to absorb and own your part of it, It's there. And to diminish, you know, the gospel, the world says you're gonna augment everybody else's flaws and diminish your own. But the gospel turns that around and says you're gonna augment everything that you are and diminish other people's sins against you. You have sufficient power, even now, it's already here, to grow. You have sufficient power to thrive, no matter where you are. If you are in this room, you are invited to the banquet. That is offered to you free of charge. You can eat to your heart's delight. You're eating of the feast of the kingdom of God, the joy of being in Christ, and that will fill you and satisfy you. It is that fullness is here and now for you. That healing can begin right now for you. That reconciliation first with God is here for you. You know why so many people in the world live today in anxiety and depression? It's because they're always somehow, you know, what they're really saying is, man, I've always somehow made it. I figured it out. Things got really crazy. Things got really messy. But I figured things out on my own eventually. And yet, as you get older, life gets more complicated. There's going to come a time, a breaking point. Oh, when you hit that breaking point, there are people who've been there. That brokenness, it gets so much harder. And some of you, because of your sin patterns, because of your relational sin patterns, because uh, of, of maybe um, historical patterns in your life, you've lost relationships and you're going to lose more, you see? And we get anxious because we thought at one point we could handle these things on our own. We thought we could. We've always been able to work it out on our own, either by reconciling and figuring it out, arguing our way through it, or maybe... We've been able to write people off successfully, but as you get older, life gets harder, it gets much more complicated, and you realize you can't always figure it out on your own anymore. You make mistakes that are very, very difficult to recover from. And once you realize that you can't get out of it on your own, the depression hits, because you've been relying so much on your own ability to figure things out in life and you realize the world is undefeated. You can't. And the reality that you can't earn your way all the time, that you sometimes suck at figuring out your own way, that you can't always work your way back. And we work hard to work our ways back. We do. What you're trying to do is, and the Bible says this, you're, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get into the feast. Because there's this cosmic need for approval in life. And what you're really looking for is access to God. That's But we so desperately want it, and we try to find it in a, in a human counterpart, a replacement for God. We want it in, uh, you know, that perfect relationship, that perfect spouse, you know, perfect kids. We want it it in getting approval in some other way, whether it's getting, you know, promoted at work, then you feel good about yourself because it gives you certain access. It gives you certain types of delight. We feed on that. We crave that. We're addicted to that. What you're really looking for is that deep cosmic approval from God, It's his approval. And it's costly. I mean, we will work and work and work to get ourselves in. Sin has created such a distance at the same time from God. There's such a distance and a chasm between us and God. That's the source of our guilt and shame. You can't work that off. And yet, Jesus paid the debt, Jesus bridged the gap. He's prepared the feast, and he's, prepared it. he's readying that feast for you. If you listen to the words of Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without cost without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. How do you buy anything without money? He says, come buy and eat. Come without, buy without money and without cost. How do you buy something without cost? It's because it's already been paid. Even in the Old Testament, littered with passages The work, they were looking at a, they were just, they had a foretaste of the work that will be done by Jesus. Don't hold on to that guilt. Don't hold on to your hurt. Don't hold on to your anger because of the brokenness that sits there. Let that brokenness pave a way, a free way, a free road that leads to trusting and entering into God's kingdom. Thirdly, the poverty of the kingdom. Verses 18 to 20. Now, the first set of invites went out to who? People with money. People with status. Clearly, they had money and status. It went out to his friends, his peers, his neighbors. They were the right crowd. But one person, he bought a field. Another person bought five yoke of oxen. Another person got married and so in verse 21 because everyone gets out uh, an invite and everyone get you know he gets the invite out to everybody but they all turn him down politely the host sends a servant to bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame these are the poor people these are the ones who are lowly these are the marginalized people in the world these are the weak people what does that mean first jesus is saying the hardest types of people to enter into god's kingdom really the hardest types of people to actually see and enter into God's kingdom, it's not the poor and the uneducated and the weak, but the educated and the wealthy and the privileged. God's grace always moves towards the broken, always moves towards the powerless and the marginalized. Why? And it's because every other religion favors the good people, favors the wealthy, favors the educated, the educated, because it's built around virtues and teachings and goodness. Every other religion is built around that. Only Christianity says if you want to enter into God's kingdom, you need to see your helplessness. You need to see your sinfulness. That your sinfulness goes deeper than just your outward behavior. It's not just about doing bad things. That there's this deep-rooted, unshakable reality of sin in your life, and it has gripped you. It owns you. That it brings you down, and and, and Jesus says, you are low. You are so low that you are dead. And what Jesus is saying here is that the wealthy and the educated and the powerful, the religious, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. It takes the power of God entering into your life to be, even be able to see how poor we really are. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees, I mean, they have a bad rap in the New Testament, but the reality is that they were wealthy, they were educated, and they were good moral people. You wanted a Pharisee or somebody like that in your neighborhood. They're going to improve the quality of your neighborhood. They were good neighbors. They were moral, good, morally just righteous people. And here's Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was committed to studying the the word. He knew God's word. He was living out God's law. And yet Jesus still says to him, you need to be born again. And that's what he says. He says you need to start over. All that education may mean nothing. All that moral goodness that you live, it may mean nothing and amount to nothing. And because the point of that is this, if you are about status, if you are about just building wealth right now, if you are about just building your reputation, if you're just here because you're just, it's a stop, you're just building your career, and you're sitting in this room right now, and you have no real intention to shift your life goals and your pursuits and your desires, because Christianity actually, frankly, goes against those things a lot of times. It's not that you're not invited to the feast. In the end, it's like the people in this parable. You don't want to go. You don't want to come in your pursuit of wealth, your pursuit of status, your pursuit of your career trajectory, your marriage, it's built almost like a a kind of a prejudice, an immunity to the gospel because your entire life goal is what? To not suffer, to not be poor, to not be in need. And so you develop almost like an allergic reaction to anything that gets in the way of those goals. And if that's the case, then you are like the folks in this passage, in verses 18 to 20, the cost of following Jesus, the cost there still is a cost. It's free, and yet it, what it costs you is your life. It costs you everything, in a sense. On one hand, the gospel, completely free, access to God, reconciliation with God, sins forgiven, cosmic acceptance. What well, we've been looking for all our lives, and yet it's going to cost you your life. And we're so focused on what it costs us, we haven't weighed out the cost of not following Jesus. And so Jesus is telling us this parable, it's a warning. Yes, you're invited. Everyone is invited. Yes, it is free. But if you think about it, and if what you're saying is, this is not for me, or, ah, you know, maybe later, it's not for me right now. I feel pretty good right now about where I am. You could be missing out on the most important differentiator between wealth and real wealth. Between family and real family. Between marriage and the ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb. It's life-changing. And yet it's so common that Jesus says, people overlook it. And so the people in the streets, the poor, the destitute, the needy, the powerless, the weak, they get it. It's even easier for them to get it in a sense because they don't have the burden of the of self-importance. They already know they're poor. They already know they're out. They already know they're needy. They start there, you see. Fourth, priority. Priority. Verses 18 to 20, why do the people decide not to come? Notice, not a single person says, well, no, screw you. Can I say that? I mean, you know, not a single person says, no, get away from me. I hate you. Nobody says that. I got a bone to pick with you. I don't like you. verse 16, they were invited before. They were already invited. They knew about this. There was a date. It was an invitation. Verse 17, the servants go to those very people and they say, everything's not ready. You can come. They knew about the party before they were invited. I mean, they knew about the party before. They were invited. Likely, these people previously said that they would attend, or else the servants wouldn't have gone the painstaking route to go back out to them and say, All right, come on in, to tell them everything was ready. My point is, there was never any overt rejection. Everybody basically said, Hey, you want to come? Yeah, sounds pretty good. I'm in. Sounds good. This is nice. A party feast? Sure, it sounds nice. This is good. In other words, at first they said, yes, I'm in. But then in verse 18, it said they start to make excuses. What's Jesus saying here? Most people, they don't just overtly reject Jesus. You know, they don't outright reject him up front. They believe the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Maybe you grew up in a church and, hey, this is what I was brought up with and this is good. I get it. I believe this, actually. I understand it. They're nice people, but it doesn't mean they're new. So the main issue is they want to come to Jesus on their own terms, on their own timing, when it's right for them. They have more important things right now on their minds. They want to come to Jesus when it doesn't impact their lifestyle or their agenda, their real agenda, or their relationship building. It's an issue of priority. Where Jesus sits as a priority in your life. Because if it's not Jesus that's at the priority of your life, something else is a priority in your life. And if you're rejecting Jesus as the king, if the king is not your priority, then that means something else is king. The point of this text is everybody who ever rejected Jesus has a reason. They have an excuse. And Jesus is saying, if you reject me, if you reject my values, if you reject my law, it's because, you know, maybe it's slowing down your business ventures, or maybe it's getting the way of your desire for a certain type of standing among a group of people, or maybe uh, it lowers your chances of finding the right person right now. Maybe it impacts how fast you rise in your career because you worked really, really hard to pour into your career. Why give up now? What he's saying is, maybe you never came in in the first place. I must be the priority in your life because I am the authority in your life. Right now, you may be too busy for Jesus, working on your dating life, working on your studies, working on career building, working to buy that home, to make that life, to raise your children, I mean, it's not an uncommon thing in this generation today that parents, you know, um, the best, the most nominal parents that you see in the church were at one point. You know why they're still in the church? Because they had an experience when they were younger, and they said, yeah, I believe this. And so they're just, they're barely hanging on. They're just coming in. But the reality is, is they drifted a long time ago. They are not plugged in. It is a common, it's not a phenomenon anymore. At one point it was. It's very common for people to just wander away. You know why? Because there are other priorities. You're still trying to come to Jesus on your own terms. So how do you get it? How do you get Jesus? How do you get into the kingdom? Look at Jesus. He is the king. Jesus was patient. Jesus waited. In John chapter 2, when he changes water to wine, his mother tells him, you know, help, help us. And Jesus says, woman, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. He's not talking about, why are you bothering me? I don't want to do this. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the ultimate miracle, the ultimate sign to which this miracle will point. Whenever you hear in the gospel according to John, Jesus talking about the time or the hour, he's talking about, he's always referring to his death. He's always referring to, his cro- to the cross. So his mother saying, you need to help us. And when he says, woman, my time has not yet come, he's looking at what's going on here, and he's referring to what's going to happen over there on Calvary. He says, that time has not yet come. He's always referring to the cross. He's talking about his death. He's talking about the ultimate miracle. Why? Jesus Christ is the king. That means he has the status, and he earned it. He has the wealth. He has the power. He has the honor, and yet he gave it up, and so he was born in a manger. He gave up his throne. He was born into poverty among a low-class family. He was homeless for much of his career, much of his life, and so he gave up his status. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his power. He gave up his honor. I mean, how many people rejected him all the way through his ministry and journey, and yet on the cross, now he's crucified on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I've lost the Father. That approval that we are all so desperately seeking, Jesus Christ not only had it, he earned it, he was fully obedient, and yet he says, I've lost the Father. And with the Father being gone, I've lost ultimate status, ultimate wealth, ultimate wealth, Ultimate power, ultimate honor and acceptance because I've lost access. And so the infinite has become finite and he's become forsaken. And so what he says is, I've been cast out. I've been locked out of the banquet. I will not get a taste of the feast. And so on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. He's hungering on the cross. Jesus thirsting on the cross, thirsting for the Father, because he had the Father, and yet he lost the forensic love of the Father. He doesn't get the taste anymore. You know why? Psalm 34 so that you can behold God. You can behold and see that He is good, so you can have access. So, Jesus gave up his status so that you could have status. Jesus gave up his wealth so you could have ultimate wealth. Jesus gave up his power so that you who are weak can receive power. Jesus gave up the honor and the acceptance and the love so that you could have the honor and the acceptance and the love. In him, union, in him, we are his priority. He came for us. And when you're humbled by the cost of what that was, the cost to get into the kingdom, and you see that Jesus Christ had paid an infinite price with his own life and his own access for you, that will humble you. It's your sin that put him there. That's why you can trust. God spared no expense to bring you in. Surely you can wait for the coming of the king. You will be able to see your spiritual poverty, and yet you will be humbled because and yet You've done nothing to contribute to the access that you've received in him. It is free. And so you can enter the kingdom spiritually hungry and thirsty and you will be filled because you can come and buy without cost. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. As we come to the table, I want you to look to the feast that we have been invited to, that has been presented in front of us, that we have and we can enjoy and delight in in the provision of Jesus.